plenty of time yesterday to finish up what we needed to finish, but uh, Murphy came on the job, and uh, his law is that anything that can go wrong will, and that was pretty close to what happened. But we finally managed to get all the water system put back together, and it's held, so maybe everything will be okay, I hope. We we did leave it uncovered. We thought we'd do that till at least Sunday to make sure we don't have any little leaks or maybe forgot to glue a joint and it pops off or whatever, so uh, I, I, I like to do that. So please don't drive off in the hole <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> I think you probably pretty well know where they are at this point, but uh, uh, I think I explained most heard it that we're tying the, we got five wells and we're tying the systems together so that we can turn a valve if one pump goes down. All we have to do is turn a valve and whoever that pump is serving uh, will still have water until we get a pump fixed. So that's kind of the method to our madness, but we had some difficulties with a slip joint for one thing and the four inch they aren't glued and uh, we'd separated them before and when we put the pressure to it that slip joint popped out and then we had to dig some more and you don't need to know all that it doesn't matter but uh, at any rate it made me and Nelson late last night for Bible study but uh, Gordon filled in quite adequately so I did appreciate that I called him about a about two hours before Bible study and said, it doesn't look like uh, this is going to happen. So <laughs> he kind of took it impromptu, and, and that's fine, and I appreciate it. Anyway, he got us down to uh, chapter 16 of Exodus. Uh, this section right through here, and I want to quit tonight about chapter 19, maybe 20, probably just 19. Uh, it kind of finishes the section that we're on about God's delivering uh, Israel from the captivity they were in. And the reason that I kind of wanted to go into this subject, for, partly because it's meat and due season during the Days of Unleavened Bread, to go back through the Exodus and what all has occurred. And there's not a whole lot new in here, perhaps, that you haven't heard many times or read many times, but... Uh, still and all, uh, as the year goes around, we have these holy days every year. And God doesn't say, well, you kept the holy days last year, so why don't you take ten, year, ten years off before you have to do that again? No, He wants us to rehearse His plan every year so that uh, it is kept fresh in our minds and what our goals and purposes are. Uh, so we do that. And... We are so short-sighted and so human and so carnal that he even has us keep a Sabbath every week, every seven days. He says, you you need a booster shot <laughs> because without it, we just drift further and further away from God and it's hard to stay near him, but we have a Sabbath to rest physically, to rest from our mental and emotional labors and not think our own thoughts and put that stuff out of our minds, our business and stuff, you know, that we do. Uh, we're supposed to just set it aside, not think about it, not dwell on it, but he has set that 24 hours aside for us to physically rest, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually be recharged and to draw close to him. So that's what the purpose of it is. 
not just, you know, I, I used to know people that they'd work six days a week, 16, 18 hours a day, and when the Sabbath came, their head hit the pillow and it hardly came off of it except to try to stay awake during services and then back in bed uh, and slept almost 24 hours. So they were just using it, they were kind of using the Sabbath to keep them going uh, through the rest of the week. And yeah, they got physical rest, but they were so exhausted that they didn't have time to recharge emotionally and spiritually. It was just physically laid out, you know. And that's not what God intended. Yes, we're to have more physical rest than normal, but we're to devote that day to not thinking our own thoughts, but to thinking godly thoughts and trying to draw near to Him. So, <clears throat> I think there's justification for going back through these. Uh, nothing much new. But just a reminder of all that those people went through, because God was preparing them for a purpose. And He had to deal, as I said, I think, a couple nights ago, with Moses as a leader. He took him out. Well, He trained him, first of all, in Pharaoh's court with all the ways of uh, the Mitzriamites for 40 years, and then he sent him into Midian uh, for another 40 years of maturity and growth and so on, and then spoke to him and when he was ready to do the job. But even then, he had some little quirks and attitudes and various things where he didn't have full faith and trust in God yet. And then when he began to deal with the people, uh, boy, did they have some attitudes before they were delivered. And as we saw last night, they still had some problems after they were brought out of there. And we'll see more of that tonight. Uh, so, human attitudes are hard to deal with. Human leaders that God may appoint are hard for people to deal with. Uh, it's just the way that it is, and it's the way that it has always been. And until Christ is coming and ruling on the earth, it will still be that way. And I would almost bet that even when Christ is ruling on the earth and Satan is bound, human nature will still rise up and people will have attitudes and problems and difficulties. And in fact, doesn't Isaiah 31, 30, 21 tell us that uh, if you start to do something wrong, a voice will come behind you and say, uh-uh, this is the way, walk this way. So human nature, without Satan, without evil society, still has its own problems. We all do. And I think it's a good review for us to go into this part of Exodus and see what those people went through before and after the incredible miracles of God. Uh, the miracles before they were brought out, the miracles the night they were brought out, and then the miracles that followed thereafter, Red Sea, <laughs> you know, and on and on it goes. And yet they were still fighting their attitudes. Uh, if you go to the New Testament, you find the same scenario. Uh, boy, how much did Paul get on people through Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians and Philippians, all 16 of his books. Uh, how much did Christ get on the church and the end-time church in the book of Revelation? 
so human nature has always been the same from Adam and Eve through, and even the most righteous people that God used powerfully in some cases still had human nature and still had their attitudes and the things to deal with. So if we're human, we have to fight and deal with it. Now, we can be discouraged and say, what's the use? Uh, you know, look at all the problems of the past. And yet, we can also look at the past and see that there are some people who overcame. There are people who grew. There are people who are listed in Hebrews 11 that are going to be in the kingdom of God. And there were many in the early New Testament church who will be in the kingdom of God. There has to be 144,000 total in the first resurrection. And then most people in the millennium and the great white throne judgment are going to be ultimately saved when their time and chance comes. Romans 11:26, all Israel shall be saved. So God is going to see this thing through and make it work. And he's called us now for us to make it work. So, we're no different than these Israelites were. We still fight our attitudes, our rebellions, our gripes, our murmurings, our complaints. Uh, we look at the human leadership God may have given us, and we'll find fault there, and we'll find even fault with God. It's just human to be that way. How we deal with it is the key. Uh, how did Moses deal with it? How did the people of Israel deal with it? How did the New Testament church deal with it? Boy, Paul got on some of those people pretty scathingly at times. Put them out of the church, turned them over to the devil, he said. And to treat them that way, if they wouldn't do what they were supposed to do and insisted on following wrong practices. So, what we are going through is no different than anyone else has. And I think we need to take encouragement from that not be discouraged by it, but realize, man, here I am fighting myself day in and day out to have the right attitudes, the right approach, to think spiritually instead of carnally. Uh, it doesn't come easy. It's a, it's a stiff fight that we all have to go through. So, uh, be encouraged that we're no different than anyone else in the past, and we have all these examples of their attitudes to encourage us, A, don't do that anymore, and B, God used them in spite of themselves, and he can use us too. But we have to grow, we have to overcome, we have to change, we have to... Uh, it came up the other night, uh, and I've used it before, I guess, years ago, but uh, that old Protestant song, Just as I am, Lord, take me just as I am. You know, there, a lot of people think, just accept the Lord and, and everything else is okay. Just say Jesus' name and everything will be fine. Get dinked or dunked or sprinkled or whatever happens to you and, and everything's okay, you're saved. Now, that's just a wee bit too easy. But is there anything in the Bible, anywhere, that they could have drawn that song from? No, that's just something they dreamed up. Because there's nothing in the Bible that says that God wants you just as you am. <laughs> it's, it's just not in there. 
He wants us to change. He wants us to grow. And every church in Revelation 2 and 3, that was the bottom line. No matter what he listed as their problems, their difficulties, their attitudes, their good points, whatever it was, overcome, change, grow. I don't want you like you are. I want you to be different. I want you to be converted, changed in every aspect of life. Everything we can do to make ourselves more like God and less like us and less like Satan and less like the people around us. Because this is our chance. This is what we need to be doing. Um, How can we miss Bible study. The speakers are boring, it's late, I've been working, blah, 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 blah. Of course, who am I talking to? You're here. Uh, But God only gives us so many chances. We only have so much time to learn what we need to learn, to be what we need to be. And we, if we're not Laodicean, should be on that like a chicken on a June bug every time we get a chance to discuss, hear, listen, have God's Word expounded. Maybe you already know it all, but reminded? I need to be reminded every day. I try before I ever go out the door every morning to be sure that I talk to God about me and what I need to do and to help me be what I ought to be. And then I go out and trip on the doorstep and fall on my face. That's kind of kind of the experience. <laughs> I mean, not literally, but figuratively. I'm getting old enough that may be literal pretty soon. But uh, nonetheless, we need to take advantage of every opportunity we have to take in as much as we can, be reminded as much as we can, in order to be stimulated to the growth that we need so that we ensure that we're in the kingdom of God. If we take it ho-hum... God is just going to keep on after us until we serve Him with our whole hearts. That's just the way it's going to be. So, unless we start overcoming and growing, we might as well expect trouble. And then if you really do get on it and grow and change and overcome, expect to be pruned a little bit so that you can grow even more. That's the way God works. He doesn't want us like we are. Uh, Now, in His mercy, in His love, and in His forgiveness, there's a certain point at which He's going to account us worthy in spite of ourselves. I understand that. I know that none of us will make it otherwise. That's just the way it is. Without Him, we'll never be delivered. Without Him, we'll never be changed. Uh, And without His deliverance, They'd have never made it out of Mitzrayim. Would have never happened. Look at what it took to get them out of there. Uh, They'd have never made it on their own. So, uh, God is there, and we can trust Him to take care of us in time of need. And Paul even said, cast your care upon Him, for He cares for you. So we know God loves us, and He loved us enough that He gave His Son during the Passover season that we might be offered salvation. And he offered these people who are in sin or in captivity like we are to this world and Satan's system a way out. 
And he's offered us the same thing. And by his miracles and his spirit and his power, it can happen. And it will. There are going to be 144,000 that make it. There really are. Uh, I mean, God has set a goal and a purpose for the first resurrection, and it is going to happen. Um, So there's room for us, too. There's room for us. And we need to take advantage of that, lest a man take our crown. And there are those who would take your crown if you let them. There are those who would discourage you. There are those who would talk down. There would be negative, who would be accusing. That's satanic, brethren. We need to understand Satan in that sense and what satanic practices and procedures are. And we need to avoid them at all costs because you can be sucked under and discouraged and frustrated so easily by being around people who do not have godly attitudes. It doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong, their allegations and accusations. It doesn't matter. Negativity and accusing are satanic to the core. And I hope we can understand that. I've brought that up, and Gordon has, and Nelson has, I don't know how many times in the last two, three, four, five years, but we don't seem to get the message. We just don't get it. And we still listen to and are around that and allow it to happen in our presence. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. It is ungodly. And I don't care who you... I mean, everybody says, oh, I know who he's talking about. Maybe you do and maybe you don't. And maybe I'm not talking about anybody in particular. Maybe I'm talking about attitudes. Okay? We were going to get to chapter 16, so let's. They took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin. (laughs) That's appropriate name for wherever they might happen to be. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This is becoming habitual, it appears, chronic. And the children of Israel said to them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We know what you're doing. Your whole motive this whole time. This isn't the first time they brought it up either. It keeps recurring. Your whole motive, you hate us, you don't like us, you don't love us, you brought us out here to die. You had ulterior motives all the time, Moses. You brought us out here to die so you could pick all those rings and jewels and everything off of our dead bodies and you could be wealthy as a result of all the spoil of Mitzrayim that we're wearing and have in our knapsacks or wherever we have it. And that's what you were doing, Moses. We got you figured out. You wanted all that gold and silver of the Egyptians, and you're here to get wealthy off us. I've heard that here. Come to think of it, 
Nothing's changed. It's always the same. I suspect by the second month there, what many of the animals that they had, and most of whatever grain or so on that they could have packed on their uh, oxen or their donkeys or whatever, they probably had pretty well eaten up everything that they had packed with them out of Mitzrayim. About a month's time, and you'd eat up quite a few groceries. So they were probably getting down to the point they didn't have anything that they had brought with them left to eat. And instead of going to Moses and saying, you know, I know God brought us out, and I remember Christ killing all the firstborn on midnight. I remember the Red Sea. I remember all the things that God did to get us here. And I appreciate it, and I'm thankful for it. But we are running out of food. Could you ask God to take care of us? Would you pray to God to help us? If they had come with that attitude, you know what? God would not have been upset. Moses wouldn't have been upset. We have a need here. Is there some way that it can be filled? We know your motive wasn't to kill us, and God's motive wasn't to kill us. If that had been his motive, he'd have done it back then. We know you didn't want us killed then because you wanted the jewelry later as you buried us, but uh, in the meantime, you know, we're, 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 these attitudes are just incredible from Satan and from human nature. If they had just come and made a simple request, hey Moses, we're getting a little low on food, we've got two days worth left, do you think you could arrange somehow to feed us? I know God didn't bring us out here to die, and I know you didn't bring us out here to die, so please take care of us. Oh, okay. Moses had probably gone and prayed to God and said, hey, we're about out of food, and we appreciate all you've done. Could you keep us alive here? And God would have said, sure. He kind of did anyway. You know, sometimes God is bigger than us. God is bigger than our attitudes. He's more loving than we give him credit for. We can even be in a bad attitude, and sometimes he will show us his love to help humble us, to help us realize, hey, he really does love us. And that's what he did right here. They were in a really, really bad attitude. You brought us out here to die. Then said the Eternal to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God is going to say, in spite of your nasty, stinking, rotten attitude, I'm going to rain bread from heaven, and we'll see if it changes your attitude, and you'll recognize that I really am God. They were thick-headed, pretty stubborn and stiff-necked. Look at all they had been through that we've read the last few nights. Look at all they had been through, and how many times God had delivered them with a powerful hand. And yet they still only thought with their feelings, their emotions, their immediate need, and their physical appetites. That's what they reacted with. Not spirituality. They didn't have God's Spirit anyway. But, but they had just then seen the physical deliverance on a level that the world had never experienced 
well, maybe this side of Noah anyway. And in some ways it was more powerful even than that. He just made a boat and it floated. But here God had to deliver them in ways that are virtually unbelievable. And then they were together twice as much on the <laughs> on Friday, so they didn't have to gather on Saturday. And some of them went out on Saturday morning to gather it, and then it bred worms and stank immediately. And God had to just bring them along a little at a time, a little at a time. Even on that, you know, I'll, I'll, here's here's bread from heaven, people. It's going to be on the ground in the morning. All you have to do is go out and pick it up. Don't get more than you should have. Just pick it up. But on Friday, or yeah, Friday morning, pick up twice as much because I'm not going to send it on Saturday. How remedial, how simple an instruction. Here comes Saturday morning chugging out of the tent. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> oh, you know, what level do we come to understand God and have faith and trust in what He says. He gives us all kinds of promises too in the, in the prophecies about today. And how many of us begin to wonder, you know, is He really going to do that? Is, is that really what that's saying? I don't know. You know, it's so easy for us to begin to second guess, to disbelieve, to not have faith, and not trust God. It's His Word. He says He's bound by it, by all that He is, and that He's going to fulfill these Scriptures and these promises. Do we believe it or not? Do we believe it enough to do things the way He says to do them in spite of ourselves? Now, they sometimes said, we'll do it, and then didn't. Christ spoke of that, of the two brothers. One said, I won't do it. The other one said, I will do it. And the one that said, I won't did. And the one that said, I will didn't. So, you know, how much does our word mean? How good is it? What value is it? Does it have real value? God's word does. And we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And not vacillate and equivocate and straddle the fence and... and uh, the kind of things that we tend to do. Even the simplest instructions. Verse 8, Moses said, This shall be when the Eternal shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Eternal hears your murmurings, which you murmur against Him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Eternal. I use the one with Samuel a lot, where he says, It isn't really Samuel they're upset with. It's me, God said. And Moses says the same thing here. It's not really me. You just don't trust God. Had Moses delivered them? He'd been a tool, but he wasn't the one that did it. It was God. So when they murmured against Moses, they were murmuring against the God who had put him there. We need to think about that pretty seriously. So God had heard their murmurings, and it came to pass... See, they had complained about the flesh pots, that is, meat to eat, meat cooked in a pot, and about bread. So what did he give them? Man in the morning and quail at night. All you could eat. Pull off the feathers and get with it. 
So he said there in uh, verse 12, I've heard the murmurings uh, speak to them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Eternal, your God. How many times have we read that back here? Over and over and over. That's the thing we have problems with. Knowing that He is God. Ezekiel uses it about the end time over and over and over again, just like here, only probably more times. When will we recognize that God is God and His Word is absolutely inviolate? It will come to pass. So the, the quail came, verse 13, and then they saw the manna, and it's called manna because in Hebrew that means what is it? They called it, what's it? It tasted like cookies made with honey. That wouldn't be too bad. You know, have a little milk and cookies in the morning for breakfast. But it had all the nutrients and the minerals and the vitamins and everything they needed. It was a complete food. Uh, wow. That was pretty good. And then comes the, uh, let's see, verse 20. Oh, let no man leave it till the morning, notwithstanding they hearken not to Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning, every man, according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. They just got greedy. Well, it's here today, but it'll be gone tomorrow. Let's, let's get some extra. It turns to worms and stinks. <laughs> Maybe you'd get the lesson pretty quick there. Verse 22, came to pass on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Uh, we've already covered that, so let's move on. Uh, verse 23, and he said to them, this is that which the eternal has said, tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath to the eternal. Bake that which you will bake today, and seethe that which you will seethe, and that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So they'd been there working seven days a week uh, in slavery. So God brings them out here, and he begins to, in a very remedial way, teach them about the Sabbath. Six days, manna and quail. Seventh day, no manna, no quail. I'll give you enough, and it, it won't stink on Friday night, but it'll stink every other night. So he's, he's slowly teaching them about the Sabbath, and that it's to be a different day. Six days you'll gather it on the seventh there shall be none. And then they went out to gather it on the Sabbath and the 27th. I've already met in verse 27, I already mentioned it. But verse 28, I didn't. And the Eternal said to Moses, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? My simple instructions. Now, the Sabbath was instituted long before this. It'll be codified in Exodus 20 here in the Ten Commandments shortly. But the law was already there. Uh, but they had forgotten the law and they'd forgotten God. So they had to be taught all over again. So his commandments and his laws. He was leading up to Sinai here and he was trying to teach them day by day, event by event, to trust him and that he would take care of them. And every time they complained and said, you won't take care of us, he did anyway. 
because he's trying to teach them something. But boy, did they learn slowly. Uh, and then they ate it for 40 years, verse 35. Going to 17, I want to cover this all tonight, and I'm probably already running out of time, but we'll get it done. Uh, so we, we covered the food deal. Now in 17, we got another problem. In the verse 1, there was no water. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why are you chapped at me? Wherefore do you tempt the eternal? It's all about God again, not Moses. He was a physical leader, so he was there easy to pick on. But it really wasn't a Moses issue. It was a God issue. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Duh, didn't we learn the lesson with the quail and the manna? No. What does it take? God is splintering the church here at the end so that we might learn. And it splinters and splinters and splinters, and there's no end in sight. Still is. People are still giving up and quitting. People are still going from door to door, church to church. People are still discontented and frustrated. They will not turn to God. They complain about the ministry in this group. They complain about the ministry in that group. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And they're never satisfied. You know what? They're not satisfied with God. They have not turned to God with their whole heart. And that is the basis of their dissatisfaction. That's it. Bottom line. It isn't this group, that group, the other group. It isn't the ministry in any of those groups. Yeah, they have their problems too. I'm not trying to say that's not true. But the discontent and the frustration is because people have not found their God. So they're dealing with this issue, that attitude, somebody else, this minister, this brother, this whoever. And they stay discontented and they don't forgive each other and they don't turn to God. Not wholeheartedly. Because God does not have any of these attitudes that you see throughout the church of God today. He doesn't have them. So if they're close to God, why do they have them? Huh? If they're close to God, why do they have them? Because that's ungodly. It's not of God. It's of the devil. Christ saw through that stuff so fast. The Jews thought they worshipped God, and they always invoked Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christ said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't your fathers. They wouldn't recognize you. God in heaven is not your father either. Satan the devil is your father, you serpents and snakes. He didn't let him get away with it. He said, you better turn and worship God, because your attitudes are ungodly. That's just all there is to it. Where is forgiveness? God, that is one of God's main attributes, is forgiveness. But we have trouble forgiving each other. We have trouble putting things in the past. We hang on to them. We bring them up. We dwell on them, on and on it goes. The problem is between us and God. That's where the problem lies. 
And you'll never be happy with man until you get happy with God. And when you... And I'm not, I'm not being flippant about that. This is the truth. When you get your attitude and your relationship with God right, you'll find that you'll get along with people a whole lot better than you have heretofore. It will make a huge difference. Because if you don't get it right with the big boss, you ain't going to get it right with any other boss either. He's the best boss there is. But how much trouble do we have keeping his commandments and his laws? See what I mean? It's his law that we break. His laws are not just between us and him. His laws also include our relationship with each other. And we can't get along with each other a lot of times because of vanity, pride, ego, insecurity, inferiority complexes, uh, you know, on and on it goes. A whole litany, laundry list of things that that keep us from getting along with each other because we do not have recognition of our own spiritual poverty and the meekness and the lack of carnality and pride and ego to put aside people's faults, their weaknesses, their sins, but to accuse them, to put them down, to think ourselves better than them or whatever. It's a relationship problem with God is where the problem lies. You've got to get that right, and we don't have it right. Obviously, or he wouldn't continue to do what he's doing to us. It is our Laodiceanism toward him that was the problem. Not anybody else, but him. How long refuse me to, you to keep my commandments? So, same old story. Doesn't matter what the subject is, same old attitude. Now you brought us out here to die of thirst. We're not going to die, we're not going to die of starvation now, but we're going to die of thirst. <laughs> Man. Verse 7, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Here he was told to strike the rock, just like he uh, waved it over the, uh, the river in Egypt and it turned to blood. Use the rod. This time he told him, strike it. Next time, I think it was, he told him, don't, just speak. And he struck it anyway because he was ticked off at them. And then he didn't get to go into the promised land as a result. So, God can deal with Moses. Miriam and Aaron and some of those folks didn't need to deal with Moses. God can deal with Moses. Okay? That's his responsibility. Not yours, not mine. God's. Uh, because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the eternal, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Can God give us water or not? Is God here or is God not here? And then we had the battle there where Joshua was going down to fight the Amal Amalekites. And uh, verse 11, it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let it down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But he'd been standing there all day holding his arms up, and he couldn't anymore, so they sat him on a rock, and they had a man on either side of him holding his arms up so that Israel would prevail. 
And that's the way it had to work. Was this Moses' deal? No. God used Moses, whether his hands were up or whether his hands were down, but God was the one that caused the effect from the hands being in whatever position they were in. God caused the Amalekites to be winning or Israel to be winning, depending on the, the placement of Moses' hands. So it was God who was going to allow them to be defeated or to win, but he used a human instrument there, as he always does. That has been the history all the way through. And the minute a so-called Christian thinks that they can get along without leadership that God provides, they are in for a world of hurt. Because God always has provided leadership among men, and he always will. And if you deny that, you're in trouble with God. Okay? We need to understand that. The better we understand it, the healthier we're going to be spiritually. Never once did God leave people utterly leaderless. Even in the days when the judges were there and the kingship was not in effect, he provided a woman, Deborah, to lead them. There was always somebody around that God would, was willing to work through. Now, many times God, people would not accept the leadership that God sent, but he always had some there. He even says, our king is dead, our counselors perish there in Micah 4, speaking of Herbert Armstrong. But he did say that he would send one to provide the message for us. He never, he never said we would be without completely. Almost. And we are almost. But God has provided the word somewhere, somehow, some way, for those who will listen. You can bet on it. If it's not here, they'll find it somewhere else. If it is here, better listen. You better listen somewhere, some way, because God will provide leadership. And it will be from Him, whether you like the guy or not. It'll be from God. Your problem. Anyway, he delivered as long as the arms were up, and that worked out well. And then uh, chapter 18, uh, Moses' father-in-law heard where they were, Jethro, and he brought Moses' wife and his two sons. He had left them behind with their father when he went to Mitzrayim to deliver Israel. They stayed in Midian, so obviously there was a, a homecoming and a joyous time here when Moses' wife and his two sons were brought by Jethro. And then Moses told him in verse 8 all that God had done and how he delivered them. Verse 9, And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Eternal had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Mitzriamites. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Eternal who has delivered you out of the hand of the Mitzriamites and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Mitzriamites. Incredible, isn't it, in a way, that here's a guy who wasn't involved, from Midian, who hadn't seen the miracles, who hadn't seen all of God's deliverance and the incredible things that he had done, 
And yet, when he heard the story, he says, man, that's an amazing tale. Incredible. That, that, that's a real God there. Verse 11, Now I know that the eternal is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. He was bigger than the Mitzriamites, bigger than Pharaoh, bigger than the whole empire. And it brought them out with a mighty hand. And Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. He's showing more Christianity here than all of Israel combined. Sacrifice to God and... Uh, it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning to the evening. So he had probably three, four million people there, and that's going to generate probably four or five problems a day, I would guess. <laughs> you know? So they were lined up needing judgments and needing problems solved, and Jethro had a good insight. Here's a guy who comes right into the into the middle of things, hadn't been there. And he, he looked around a little bit and he said, Moses, this is too much. A, you're frustrated and don't get any sleep or any rest. And these people got to stand in this line a mile long or whatever uh, to try to get a judgment on some maybe little something. Uh, why don't you just appoint a bunch of guys to help and the little things they can handle and the big things you can handle? And everybody will be happier. They don't have to stand in line as long. And you don't have to sit there for 18 hours and then somebody come up and say, my dog has fleas, what do I do? You know, some of that little stuff could be handled a different way. Now, if they have a real problem, like my wife's beating me every night, uh, even that might be handled, you know, uh, by somebody lesser than Moses. But there may have been other issues, of course, that needed a an answer that would affect everyone. Uh, you know, uh, bigger issues, doctrinal matters, whatever. So Jessler was a big help, and they uh, they did break it down so that they had rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, fifties, and tens. There in verse twenty-one. Let's move on to nineteen. I'm very quickly running out of time now. Where did my watch go? Oh well, forget it. There it is. Hey, i got five minutes left. One chapter left I wanted to cover. The third month, uh, they came, uh, that they had come out. Uh, here they were. Verse 4, you have seen what I did. Wait a minute, let's go. Uh, they camped before the mountain. Verse 3, and Moses went up to God, and the Eternal called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Mitzriamites and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, there have been no eagles mentioned up to this point, and I'm sure that the uh, bald eagle didn't swoop down and they all jumped on his wings and flew off. Uh, they walked out. They were delivered, yes. Uh, so when God says, I took you on eagle's wings, he simply means, I was the big bird that could handle that. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. 
Uh, an eagle is a huge bird with strong wings, and God uses that analogy throughout the Bible uh, about eagles' wings uh, because they are strong and powerful. So, he brought you unto myself, he says. And that's another huge point that we need to grasp. John 6:44, it's repeated in principle. No man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him unless his mind is opened and God begins to work with that mind and those emotions and they begin to understand. So, the onus is on God in the beginning to open our minds to bring us to Him. And we read that in Lamentations 5, and I'm not going to let it go, about how we're supposed to ask Him to draw us to Him. He says He drew him with the cords of a man there in Hosea. God is the one that has to do this. Our salvation depends more on Him by far than it does on us. We can merely work at growing and overcoming and trying to stay out of a murmuring, griping, complaining, non-compliant, you name it, attitude or whatever. And try to, to respond to His call in everyday life and in every way. But it is He who does the drawing. It is He who delivered them on the wings of an eagle, He says. And He's going to do it the same way here in the end. And he even says, pray that you be counted worthy to escape the great tribulation that comes when the abomination is set up there in Matthew 24. Uh, pray that you be counted worthy to escape, because none of us are. None of us are. He is going to have to forgive. He's going to have to overlook. He's going to have to pass over, <laughs> as we've been studying, an awful lot for any of us to make it. But he loves us enough that he's going to pass over a lot. And if we're like God, we're going to pass over an awful lot with each other, aren't we? Because that's a godly attitude. That's the way we need to be. Pass over it. Let it go. Let it go like water off a duck's back. another expression we use more modernly, let's say. But it's the same thing. Pass over. Don't let it affect you. Don't let it bother you. Don't obsess over it. Move on. Pass over. Don't die. Don't die. We're the firstborn of many brethren. Oh, Christ was the firstborn, but we're in the first bunch, I'm trying to say. He was the first of the first fruits. We're still first fruits. And we don't need to die. Why will you die, O Israel? So he says, I brought you out of here on eagles' wings. Now notice why. Was it because they were better than anybody else? No. <laughs> Based on uh, attitude and approach and, and everything that occurred from the time he set his hand to deliver them till this point in the third month, would you say that uh, they deserved God's blessing and forgiveness and mercy and passing over? Not a chance. But he brought them out on eagle wings because he loved them and he wanted them to be with him. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a particular or purchased, bought treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and I can choose whom I want, and I choose you. 
And God looked down from his sovereign throne at some point in your life and said, I choose you. Are you utterly committed to his way and to change everything you need to change to be more like him? How committed are we? Wholeheartedly? Oh, what the heck. I'll eat this, I'll drink that, I'll do this, I'll think that, I'll go to this movie, whatever. Who's the source of those things that aren't good for us? It isn't God. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Same message in the New Testament. I've redeemed you, I've purchased you, become a holy nation. That is his desire for us. It's his purpose in us. He's holy, so we need to be holy as God is holy in every way. That's a tall order. How can we miss prayer? How can we miss our Bible study? How can we miss meditating and thinking on the ways of God? Real easy. Get sidetracked on things of this world, but some of them have to be done. Some of them don't. Some of them do. But it's real easy to get distracted and minimize God or put Him aside or, you know, the TV just, you know, the thing just keeps playing. It's just, the computer just keeps going. What do you do? What do you it has an off button, you know. That TV actually has an off button, whether you knew it or not. It, every one of them does. It, maybe up, it's got one up there on the set itself, and it's got one right there that you're flipping channels with. One of those says off. Believe it or not. But, you know, we get mesmerized by those things so easily. Where they become habit, and you can't turn it off. I knew a young man, I won't say who, years ago... He would sit and watch up TV all day if he could. And back then they didn't play all night and there weren't all these channels. He only had about four. And, he, and they'd, they'd all go off the air about two or three o'clock in the morning. And he'd sit there and watch the test pattern. True story. What's the test pattern? Nothing on. Can't turn it off. Couldn't turn it off. Sometimes we have to take the bull by the horns. <laughs> you know? That thing's not... It's really not that hard to push. It's just hard to get your finger up there and do it. And then put God first in the things that we need to do. Uh, it is so easy not to obey God. Anyway, he's leading up to something here. And that is that he is trying to teach them obedience to simple things, teach them simple spiritual lessons, and is having a mighty hard time getting it done because of human attitudes and human problems, and me first, and I want my body comfortable at all times, and I am going to be really ticked off if it's not that way. You know where he's leading them? Mount Sinai. You know what chapter 20 is? 
The giving of the Ten Commandments with lightning and fire and thunder and smoke and darkness. And scared the tar out of them. And said, Moses, you go talk to God. We got other things to do. You talk to God, then you come tell us what he says. So he went up and got ten commandments from God. Ten simple little things. Just ten. That's all. You can boil them down to two pretty quick. Love God with all your heart and love your brother your neighbor. Pretty simple. Just love everybody. Basically, above and below. Have the attitude of love. And everything will be hunky-dory. So when Moses brought them the Ten Commandments, and they already had a pretty good idea of what God wanted, don't you think, by now? So he, he wrote it all down in stone. Brought it down, and boy, were they partying. Making themselves new gods. Dancing in the streets and making a golden calf. And here's Aaron, high priest. Well, the people made me do it. Not much excuse. Now are we committed? This is as far as I want to go along these lines. We'll, we'll, we'll do something different tomorrow. But I wanted to get us up to chapter 20 and the experiences that they went through how they lacked, and how God brought them and drew them anyway, and delivered them on the wings of the great eagle in spite of themselves. And in spite of ourselves, brethren, there is great hope that if we will do our part and just grow and overcome and change and put him first in our lives, we will enter glory, immortality, living forever, in a perfect, peaceful place and never have another tear, another sorrow, another hurt, or anything of the kind. Let's lift our holy hands up to God. That's when we win. And when they fall, we lose.